Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, New Covenant. That was really, really wimpy. Kind of like my chargers yesterday. But, good morning, New Covenant. Glad you are here. If you uh, remember, we kicked off uh, what seems to be a daunting book for a lot of people in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. I am excited about this book. Uh, If you remember last week, one of the things we talked about is some of you are this, these avid jigsaw puzzlers. I do not have the patience for this kind of stuff, but I have learned some great lessons from jigsaws when it comes to our interpretation of God's Word, uh, especially the book of Revelation. And one is, if you don't know what it is that you're putting together, you're going to have a really hard time with the puzzle. So the box top is super helpful. Uh, We're going to discover this morning that Revelation chapter 1 is the box top you're going to get this amazing picture of the Lord Jesus. We got it in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We get it in the Old Testament with his prophecies about his coming. But then we really get some things unveiled for us uh, in the book of Revelation when it comes to the person of Jesus. So we're going to have a blast with the box top this morning. I want to ask you a question as you think about this. If you were to talk to somebody that has never heard a thing about Jesus, how would you describe him? Most people in America, the description that I hear is kind of like a glorified Mr. Rogers. He's just kind of nice to everybody and wants everybody to be his neighbor. Uh, And that is a small picture of Jesus. A lot of the people that were around him loved him. They loved to be around him. They felt loved by him and welcomed by him. But on the flip side, we don't want to miss the majesty of Jesus. We don't want to miss him also as the lion of the tribe of Judah. If you want to know what it looks like to be a man's man, look at Jesus. He gave us a great uh, description of what a man of God looks like. And so we're going to take a look at a, a portrait or a picture of Jesus this morning. I would say that this might quite possibly be the most important message of the series because it's going to show you how the book of Revelation is put together and then it's going to show you what the book of Revelation is all about, which is the person of Jesus that we're going to see this morning. You just stood for quite a while. Could you stand again? We're going to read verses 9 through 20 uh, of Revelation chapter 1 this morning uh, in its entirety, and then we'll go ahead and we'll break this down into four separate parts that will help you grasp uh, these 11 or 12 verses. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. 
In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those... Uh, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Thanks, gang. You can have a seat. So John, obviously, he's writing from the island of Patmos. He's in the middle of what we call the Aegean Sea. At this point, the, the church has just been born. It hasn't existed for very long. When I say the church, it's those that have put their hope and their trust in the Lord Jesus, that prophesied Messiah that the Old Testament talked about for over a thousand years before he finally came. And all those that put their hope and their faith and trust in that Messiah received the Holy Spirit and they became part of the church. The church at this point in time has undergone some intense persecution. The Romans hate them, They're killing them and torturing them just for fun because they worship a different God, the God of the Bible, the God of the universe. They wouldn't bow down and worship the pantheon of God of the Romans. The Romans also hated them because Jesus came claiming to be a king. Remember in Rome, you had one king. At at the time, it was typically the Caesar. And if you didn't bow down and worship him as God and king, they wanted you dead. Then you've got the Jews who looked at Jesus as a false messiah, not as God. So they hated the followers of Jesus. On top of all that, go to July 19th of AD 64. And if you don't know what's important about July 19th of AD 64, that was the date that a massive fire started and burned down like half of Rome. Nero was at the time reigning and ruling and he needed a scapegoat. So guess who he blamed? Those crazy Christians tried to burn Rome down because they don't like all the idols that are in the town. And therefore they started getting persecuted badly. Well, shortly after that, Nero goes out and a new guy comes in by the name of Domitian. Domitian wanted to be addressed as the Lord God and King, Domitian. Or when he would speak, he would address the crowd as your Lord and God says, and then he would speak as though he was God himself. So these Christians, these followers of Jesus, having any other king and worshiping any other God made Domitian quite mad. So just for fun, he would torture, execute, or exile them. This is exactly why John ended up on the island of Patmos. Domitian hated him. He put him on an island all by himself, and at like the age of 90, he's sleeping on the ground. He's by himself. He's exiled. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to break down this passage really in four main parts. Um, If you came through the door and you got one of those bulletins, there's some sermon notes folded up in there for you. On the front side are our notes for this morning. On the back side are some study questions that you could do with your small group. You could do it with your family. Um, You could do it on your own, however you want to go through those. That will help you just dig a little bit deeper into Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. But as we break this down in four parts, the first thing we're going to take a look at is what is John's situation? because of Christ. He's in a particular situation because of his following Jesus. We're going to take a look at how that uh, actually has a lot to do with us today. The closer you walk with Jesus, the farther you will get from the world. 
What I mean by that is that the closer that you walk to the teacher that you follow, which is Jesus, he was persecuted, he was tortured, and then he was eventually killed because of his claims as to who he was. If you make a claim to follow that king, the world that we live in is becoming more and more hostile towards that king, which means his subjects will also be recipients of that hostility. It's good for us to gather together at least once a week, get encouraged by what the Word of God says, because when we leave here, it's not a terribly encouraging world for those that are following Jesus sometimes. However, be encouraged. What did Jesus say? Don't be surprised when the world hates you because hated me first. So John's situation is a bit bleak. We'll talk about that in just a moment. The second thing we're going to take a look at is not only John's situation, but the instruction that he gets from Jesus. Jesus says, hey, don't just wither away and die on an island. I still have great plans for you. I'm going to do amazing things with your life. Hey, let me encourage you. The world's a mess, but God wants to do amazing things through his church. I can't wait to see what that is. Anybody else just fired up about 2023? I can't wait. Now, gang, it's just a year. Who cares? It's just a number. It's just a name. What I'm fired up about is just the future in general because God is good. He's still on the throne. We just sang about it this morning. Let's expect our king to do great things. I don't know about you, but I serve the king of kings. I serve the Lord of lords. There's nothing that can stop him. Doesn't matter what the world does. They can't stop his plan. Doesn't look good, But here's what's really neat. God's taken a lot of situations that don't look good and then used them for amazing things. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please just pick up your Bible and start reading, starting in Genesis. Mankind did a great job of completely messing up creation, and yet God called out certain people and then did great things through them. I'm anticipating the exact same thing for New Covenant. The third thing that John does, and this might be the most important part of this morning, is he gives a description, or I should say Jesus gives a description of himself to John. I can't wait to dive into that. And then the last thing we're going to take a look at is John's reaction to the description of Jesus. How do you react to Jesus? What's your reaction to what you know about him? There's a little saying that I used to throw out a lot to our church in San Diego and our church in Washington, and that is that your theology will always dictate your behavior. Think about that for a moment. Your theology will always dictate your behavior. What that means, theology means knowledge of God. Based off what you know of God, that will radically dictate the way you live your life. If your God is the God of the universe, the one who wrote the Bible, spoke all things into existence, made himself known in the person of Jesus, died, overcame death, rose again, and is coming again, that will radically affect the way you live your life. If your God is just as weak as you are, or there are things that you can do to earn his favor or or earn his love, or you have something to give back to him, then your God's too small, and that will radically dictate the way you live your life. We're going to see this morning that the God that we serve is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, none other than the person of Jesus. Okay, are we ready? Here we go. Verses 9 and 10. Let's go back to it. We're going to take a look at this vision of victory, something that John desperately needed to hear. John, uh, Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Let's stop there for just a moment. What is John's situation? Poor John's situation is one of persecution 
and isolation. Think about those two words for just a moment. John's situation because of Jesus is one of persecution and isolation. As followers of the Lord Jesus in January of 2023 in central New Mexico, you are going to become more and more persecuted for your faith, and you will also become more and more isolated for your faith. This is not a new tactic of the enemy. He's been doing it since the garden. He's been doing it all the way through. Get to the Garden of Eden, and what did, what did Satan do? He starts to cast doubt on Eve, and he tries to get her isolated, and then he gets her to sin. Take a look at what Satan did through a people group called the Babylonians. They went in, they ransacked Jerusalem, they dragged them away from home, they indoctrinate them with all kinds of false doctrine, like they did to Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael. They do everything they can to indoctrinate them for about three years and turn them into something that God never called them to be. You live in a world that's doing exactly that. John is being persecuted and isolated, and hopefully Satan's thinking, I'm going to break this man down. But what does John say in verse 9? He says, I'm going to call myself your brother and your partner. We're going to struggle through this together. I, I find it humbling that John called himself our brother and our partner. He was one of the innermost three with Jesus. Remember, he was the, the disciple that Jesus loved. He was the one that laid his head on Jesus' chest and said, Jesus, just tell me what the end of the age is going to bring. What am I supposed to be looking for? But instead of flaunting his pedigree and all the time that he spent with Jesus, instead, he identifies with his readers and says, I'm your brother. I'm your partner. And he says, I'm your brother and your partner in what? Tribulation. The word that's used there, that Greek word for the word tribulation in verse 9, literally means to apply pressure. And it is a word that would have been used for grapes being mashed into a pulp to be used for wine. John says, that's the type of life that I've lived. And so have your other brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's kind of fitting that he receives it on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day was a term for Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It was a term for the first day of the week. So John gets this reminder that Jesus defeated death, that he secured the victory on the Lord's Day. And I think we need that reminder. Practically speaking, just like John got persecuted, just like John got isolated, our, our persecution and our isolation is coming. And it's coming at a more rapid rate as the days go by. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Now, I'm not an alarmist. I'm not a doomsday guy. God is good. We don't have to worry about what the world does. But I would encourage you, just be a, be a student of the culture Know where the culture is going and know where it's, it's going to end up. Now, I come from San Diego, about 40 years of living out there. And we had this big cross up on a hill called Mount Soledad. And up there were the names of many that have given their lives in big parts so that we could worship the Lord freely. And there is this massive push to take that cross down. Atheists, AA, the Atheists of America, were making this major push. Get that cross and every cross removed. They're writing letters wanting that cross removed because they found it to be offensive. My clarion call to believers is, why don't we let the atheists know that we're sick of seeing hills without crosses on them that's offensive to us? And then let's continue to push for Jesus being made known everywhere that we go. I don't know about you, but not to fight. I want people to know Jesus because I want to fight for their souls. 
I think we have to keep in the back of our, our minds on a consistent basis that Scripture even tells us that these people that we see, these atheists that we might have in our families or in our schools or um, in the political arena, they're not really the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. And our job is to go out and bring the gospel to them to see these people rescued. So I'm hoping and I'm praying that we do just that. We are in a place where the Ten Commandments are being ripped away and out of our schools. Did you know that apart from God's word, the law that was designed by God from his absolute perfection, apart from that, we are a society that is in a whole lot of trouble. We no longer have a standard for right and wrong anymore. Now it is every man for himself, do whatever you want to whom you want, because it doesn't really matter. One of the things that we will be discussing this coming Wednesday night at our equip course is why it matters so much as to what you believe about whether or not God exists and then who that God is. It radically affects the way we live our lives. Well, in the midst of all this, in the midst of what John was going through, in the midst of what we're going to go through, he uses another word, patient endurance, or in the Greek it's that word hupamone, which is kind of a neat word, but it literally means to bear up under pressure regardless of intensity or duration. Think about that definition of the word hupamane for just a second. Bearing up under pressure regardless of intensity or duration. The intensity is probably going to become greater and the duration of our persecution is probably going to become longer. We right now, today, this day in January of 2023, need to really make a decision as a church. Are we ready? to endure some fairly intense persecution and maybe for a long period of time. Are we ready for that? How do we get ready for that? Well, that's what we're going to take a look at in the rest of chapter 1. How did John get encouraged? 90-year-old man. He's probably had family members get killed and tortured. He's watched all of the disciples that he served Jesus with at this point be killed through torture and then execution. He's probably the last of the 12 that's left alive. And now he's withering away as an old man in a place where he doesn't really have a place to lay his head. He has no food. He has no fresh water. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a wuss. And I sit there and cry to God when I don't have the, the things that I want. Like all of a sudden the electricity goes out for half an hour. What are we going to do without TV for 30 minutes? What if things in the fridge go bad? And we get all panicked about stuff like that. And then I think about John, and I think about where he's at. And Jesus knew that he needed encouragement. So what does Jesus do? He shows up, and he encourages him. But this is going to take discipline to get to that point. How do we get to a point where regardless of how bad things around us get, we keep our eyes on the prize? We remind ourselves that this life is short. Hey, I know I've never asked you this question before, but did you know you're going to die? That should be a question you're getting familiar with by now. Did you know you're going to die? And did you know that that's actually not a bad thing? Because when we talk about death, don't forget what Scripture tells us death is. Death is not a ceasing to exist, but what? Separation. See, when I die the first time, my soul will be separated from my body. But then the Bible talks about what we call the second death. For those that have trusted in Jesus, we never have to experience the second death. The second death is an eternal separation from God forever for rejecting the free gift that he gave us of allowing us into heaven regardless of what we've done. But because of what Jesus did, we can be with him forever. Well, here's where the encouragement starts to come. Listen to this. Verse 11. Revelation chapter 1, verse 11. This is, this is Jesus' instruction to John, and it's going to be in his instruction to us as well. 
He says, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. The canon is closed. God's word is done. It's been written. We're not writing anything new, but we're supposed to take everything that has been written down and go make it known. Go make it known to the churches. Go make it known to the pagans. Go make it known on every uh, tribe, to every tribe, language, nation, tongue. Go make it known. Go tell everybody you know about Jesus. In fact, the second thing that you're going to see is John's instruction from Jesus was one, write what you see, and then number two, send what you wrote. Write it and send it. For you and I, together as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's read it and tell it. Read it and tell it. The more that we read about God's word, the more we should go tell others about him. Go tell him what you're learning. Go tell him what you know. Again, I know we get all freaked out. We start to shake at the knees. I, I'm not an evangelist. I'm just not good at standing on a, on a box top and screaming out of the street corner. You don't have to. Talk to your neighbor. Just tell them about what Jesus has done for you. Do you know that you can present the gospel through your testimony? Here's how simple it is. I'm Dave. Can I just tell you why I'm so blessed? I once was far away from the Lord. I wanted nothing to do with him, yet he pursued me anyways. Somebody introduced me to the creator of the world. His name is Jesus. He died on a cross for me and he rose again. And because of that, I can live every day knowing that if today is my last, I get to be in heaven with him forever. That's it. That's the gospel. I have not discovered too many people that throw out four-letter explicatives at me and walk away. They have, but not that many. And even if they do, that's where you and I get to sit back and say, you know what, when I lay my head down at night on a pillow, was my goal to please man? Or was my goal to see Jesus glorified and lifted up? And hopefully it's the latter. Now when it comes to these seven churches that God told John to write to, I want to make abundantly clear that again, one of the ways that we study Scripture that we talked about is we have the box top. We know that all of Scripture is about Jesus. Typically when you start, you start with the outer pieces. You have some, some guidelines, some boundaries. Remember, we have boundaries for how we study the Word of God. One of the boundaries is that we will always read it in context. We don't get the privilege of, of ripping verses out of their context. Um, the other one is that we in, interpret Scripture literally. Jesus fulfilled 351 messianic prophecies at his first coming, all of which were fulfilled literally. So that would lead me to believe that if we're using a consistent interpretation of Scripture, he's going to literally fulfill all of the prophecies in Scripture, which means that these churches that we're being talked about here are actually literal churches. If you take a look at a, a Bible map, this would be the postal route that a mail carrier would follow if he was delivering mail to each of the seven churches. He would start in Ephesus, the southernmost part. He would work his way north and then wrap around east and then back down to the south. So he's delivering letters to Ephesus. Next week, we're looking at just the church in Ephesus. In fact, for the next seven weeks, we're going to take a look at these seven literal churches, and it's going to be a blast to see what Jesus not only taught them, but what does he teach in New Covenant Church through Ephesus, through Smyrna, through Pergamum, through Thyatira, through Sardis, through Philadelphia, through Laodicea. What is he teaching us through all of those? I love how I don't have to make God's word relevant for you. It is relevant. It has not lost its relevancy in 2,000 years, which is what is amazing about this collection of 66 books. It doesn't lose its relevancy. The desperate need for mankind to know God as his or her creator 
through the person of Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again doesn't change, even though our culture does. So John's got this instruction. Write what you see, send what you wrote. Now, I love how on that postal route, those messages were able to be, able to be delivered when Jesus gave that commandment to John with quite a bit of ease because of a wicked, evil man. Let me explain to you what I mean. Y'all remember when we studied the faces of Christmas and we talked about Herod the Great? Did anybody know why Herod the Great got the name Herod the Great? Had mostly to do with his architectural and engineering prowess. He was able to develop really amazing looking buildings for one, but he was also, and, and probably even more known for, his development of roads, making travel easy from one city to the next. Well, right about the time that Jesus comes on the scene, these roads have been paved perfectly for the gospel to go forth. Once again, go figure, God knows exactly what he's doing, and he's got it all worked out ahead of time. So thank you, evil, wicked Herod the Great, for making it possible for the gospel once again to get spread. I love how God uses evil, wicked people for, uh, for his glory. So we're about to move from John's situation to the instruction that Jesus gave John to now the description of Jesus, and this is hugely important for us because here is the box top for the jigsaw puzzle. Don't breeze past these. This is, this is going to speak volumes as to who our Jesus is. Revelation chapter 1 verses 12 through 16. I, I want you to at least try to get a visual of what John is seeing. Maybe it's best, close your eyes. Yeah, just for fun. I'm not, I'm not doing some weird Jedi mind trick on you. Don't worry. Just close your eyes and just listen to this. Instead of reading it, just listen to it and try to picture what John is seeing. He said, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. You can open your eyes, wives, wake up your husbands. Let's take a look, if we could, real quick, at John's description of the glory and the majesty of Jesus. By the way, that's your blanks for you note takers. The third thing we're going to take a look at is John's description of Jesus and his glory and his majesty. Now, it's interesting that Isaiah described Jesus at his first coming as one who had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. That was at his first coming. He came as the lamb to be led to the slaughter. At the second coming, he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And this is where we get some of the glory of Jesus unveiled. In verses 12 and 13, we read that he was speaking to John. And he turns around and he sees seven golden lampstands. Now, again, before we just start making stuff up, what are the seven golden lampstands? They're the seven churches. So Jesus is standing in the midst of the seven churches. And we're told something here. Jesus' position, so again, for you note takers, 
I tried to make it simple. You got like seven things that are all going to start with P. This was the hardest part of my sermon this week. So act like you're awed by this, okay? (laughs) Jesus' position tells us of his love for and his presence among all the churches. Remember, John is at a time where he has seen and gone through intense persecution for his following of Jesus. He needs some encouragement badly. And what's the first thing he sees? Jesus is right there in the middle of all of this. If you're ever wondering, where is Jesus when I need him most? The answer is always the same. Right where he's always been. Right next to you. See, it's interesting that Jesus never walks away from us. It's usually the opposite. Things don't go my way and I walk away from him. And then I begin to wonder, where are you when I need you most? And what reminder do I get from Scripture? Right where I've always been. I'm right next to you. Look at me, if you would, at verse 13. It said, in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Jesus' clothing that just got described there tells of his priestly function. I want to talk a little bit about his priestly function because I don't want you to forget what a priest did in the Old Testament. What was a priest's job? They were a mediator, a go-to between God and man. But the moment Jesus died on the cross, this amazing event happened in the temple. And you all remember, right? What happened in the temple? The veil tore from top to bottom. Now remember, only the high priest, and only once a year could the high priest go behind the veil in the Holy of Holies and and provide an atonement or a sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel. Now the veil in the temple tears in two, telling us that we no longer have to have any priest go to God on our behalf. We can go directly to his throne room at any given point in time. I don't know if we understand what a blessing that is. That is a huge, huge blessing. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter how much society is falling apart, how nasty people have been. Regardless of what's going on, I can stop. And right now, I could just go and talk straight to God. Nobody has to do that for me. I don't have to go through any kind of ritual. I don't have to go through uh, any type of, of ceremony. I can just simply go straight to God, not because of who I am. In fact, if I went to God based off who I am, do you know what would happen? I'm dead on the spot. However, since God cannot allow anything imperfect in his presence, Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice He gave himself up for us. And now God the Father no longer sees Dave DeShop. Fill in the blank for yourself. God no longer sees, but instead he sees Jesus Christ. That's the only hope that we've got. Listen to this. It comes from Hebrews chapter 10. I would encourage you maybe write this down somewhere or highlight it or star it or something in your Bibles. But Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. This is just one of a slew of passages that tell us just how good God has been to us through the sacrifice of Jesus. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. Now listen, verse 14 is key. If you can get this ingrained in your head, you get the whole gospel. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Did you hear that? 
How many times does Jesus have to die? He did it once. He never has to do it again. What does it do for the recipients of that gift? We don't like to say this because it doesn't sound humble. It makes you perfect. Did you know that as a follower of Jesus in the eyes of God, judicially, lawfully, you are seen as perfect? You are seen as though every single jot and tittle of God's law has been fulfilled perfectly, and that's all because of what Jesus did on your behalf? Let me take you to probably my life verse. I have it tattooed on myself so I don't forget it, but Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 tells us, for I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's because of that that I now get seen as perfected because of what he's done. Revelation chapter 1 verse 14, just the first part, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Jesus' hair tells us of his profound wisdom. He knows it all. Here's a big fancy church word for you, but it's the word omniscient. He knows all things. So again, blank fillers, your next P is profound. Jesus' hair tells of his profound wisdom. It also points right back to a book that I would encourage you all to read while you're reading Revelation. If I could encourage you to read one other book that would bring so much light to Revelation, anybody want to take a wild guess at what book that would be? We're awake this morning. (laughs) Daniel. By far, Daniel. If you could read one book that would unpack the book of Revelation so much, read the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 gives this description of God Almighty, the Ancient of Days, and it, it parallels a lot of what John is saying right here in Revelation chapter 1. Amazing. Well, the next thing we're going to take a look at is his voice. Look at verse 15. Uh, I'm sorry, continue on in uh, verse 14. It says, the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. And what we're about to discover is that his eyes and his feet tell of his penetrating judgment. It tells of Jesus' penetrating judgment. From head to toe, Jesus is king. Jesus is judge. That's not a description that we like to talk about much when it comes to Jesus. I like Jesus meek and mild. I like Jesus giving me mercy. I like Jesus having children sitting on his lap, but don't talk to me about judgment. In fact, we're not supposed to make judgments. Judge not, or you will be judged. Did you know that is quite possibly one of the most misquoted Bible verses in all of the Bible? Jesus never said, don't make discernments. We make them all the time. Read the entire thing in its context. Don't judge people if you're going to do the same thing, Jesus said. He didn't say don't judge at all. He said, take the log out of your own eye so that you can remove the speck from somebody else's. In other words, don't be a hypocrite. Because if you want to know of all the reasons why people don't come to church on a Sunday morning, number one reason that we hear, church is full of hypocrites. I love when people say that. I have people that I love that I'm close to that will tell me I would never go to church because the church is just full of hypocrites. And my answer is always the same. We could always use one more. Just join us. (laughs) So invite them on in. So Jesus' feet and Jesus' eyes tell us that he is a judge. By the way, did you know that the fact that Jesus is judge is actually a good thing? 
If we don't serve a God with an absolute standard, that being Jesus, who's going to hold all people accountable for all the things that we've ever done, then there is no vindication for all of the things that have happened in the world. I'm praising God that I don't have to go out and in vengeance deal with all the evil in the world. He's going to take care of it. Also in verse 15, we hear this about his voice. It says, his voice was like the roar of many waters. Jesus' voice tells us of his possession of supreme authority. Jesus is the one who's in charge. Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 2, that's another book that I would encourage you to read while you're going through Revelation, describes the voice of God Almighty in the exact same way. So you continue to see these Old Testament descriptions of God Almighty being applied to Jesus. Jesus is telling John without a doubt, hey, you know what? The one that you laid your head on was the creator of the world. The one that you saw get brutally tortured and crucified but then rose again from the dead, he's the creator of the world. I am he. Verse 16, I love this, but in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His right hand and his mouth tell of his protection of his church. Did you know that you're safe in Jesus' arms no matter what? doesn't matter if you're sitting here in Albuquerque or in the middle of the Middle East and bombs are exploding all around you. Do you know where the safest place to be is? Smack dab in the middle of God's will. Even if the world is careening into chaos, you being in the middle of God's will is the safest place to be. Hey, I don't know if I asked you this or not, but did you know you're going to die? <laughs> you might die of a heart attack. You might die of a stroke. You might die of cancer. You might die of getting shot. You might die of a car accident. Nobody knows. What we do know for sure, Scripture tells us our days are numbered and we're going to die. Being the fact that that is a given, the safest place for you and I to be is smack dab in the middle of God's will. Because if I'm smack dab in the middle of God's will, I could get in a car accident and die. I could get a horrible cancer diagnosis. I could have a heart attack. A number of things could happen to me. And did you know I don't have to worry about any of them? Because I'm part of God's family. I'm smack dab where I'm supposed to be. And here's the last thing we learned about Jesus in verse 16. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. Jesus' face tells us of his perfect glory. I can't wait to get to see more of Jesus when we get to heaven. John uses a phrase that comes from Judges chapter 5, verse 31, that speak of his power and of his might and of it reflecting the sun. I learned that the sun gives off 40,000 watts of light for every square inch of its surface. 40,000 watts of light for every square inch of its surface. You do know that the sun makes the, the earth look like a dwarf, right? Like a lot of earths can fit inside of the sun. Just try to picture every square inch of that sun that gives us our light and our warmth, putting out 40,000 watts of light, and yet that's nothing in comparison to the glory of the Jesus that we serve that we'll be with in heaven. Can you see why heaven is going to be so amazing? All right, let's wrap this up. Verses 17 through 20. When I saw him, I fell down at his feet as though dead. How did John respond? With reverent fear. You got three now. Here we go. Reverent fear. Then Jesus gives him a divine assurance because he puts his hand on him. And what does he say? 
don't be afraid, and then he gives them a holy calling. So John starts with this reverent fear, Jesus gives him a divine assurance, and then he gives him this holy calling. Remember, John was there on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, when a little glimpse of Jesus' glory is given, and he falls on his face then. Well, now he really falls on his face. But then Jesus reassures him, don't worry, you're not going to die. In fact, I still have some plans for you. I still got some great things I want to do with you and through you. And that's the holy calling that he gives him. And I love how Jesus starts when he lays his hand on him. What does he say? He says, fear not, I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Again, we miss this in the English language. We read it, so what? I am this. I am that. The Greek words that he uses there, almost every single time when he describes himself in the New Testament are the Greek words ego I me. Ego I me, remember that's the Greek derivative of the Hebrew uh, name, God's covenant name, Yahweh. So Jesus says over and over again, Yahweh, the door for the sheep. Yahweh, the bread of life. Yahweh, the way, the truth, the life. I am. I am all of those things. He wants John to be encouraged. And then he tells him, based off all that you know of me, write them. Write the things that you've seen and the things that are and those that are to take place. By the way, Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 is like a linchpin verse. It tells you how the book of Revelation is put together. Write about the things that were Revelation chapter 1. Write about the things that are Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We're living in the church age or the age of grace. Write about the things that are to come. Revelation chapter 4 through Revelation chapter 22. I am what you would call a futurist. From my studies of Scripture, everything that we're going to read from Revelation chapter 4 through the end of Revelation chapter 22 are things that are going to happen in the future. They have not yet happened. God is still going to use the things that we are about to read about to break the nation of Israel, to bring her to her knees so that she will finally repent and cry out to the one true Messiah, the one that they should have seen in the Old Testament. Gang, let us never forget that while John's situation was one of persecution and one of isolation, Jesus' majesty and Jesus' glory made it all worth it. Today, January 2023, in central Albuquerque, we are going to face some persecution and we are going to face some isolation. Let me close with a question. How many of y'all would say Jesus is worth it? Good. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you and um, Lord, we just recognize you for who you are uh, and we tell you, Lord, that you are worth it. You don't need us to tell you that. Uh, but Lord, we, we do in some small way come before you and we give you a sacrifice of praise. And we praise you for the fact that your glory and your majesty make any persecution or isolation that we may face worth it. Would you remind us of your goodness? Would you remind us of who you are? Lord, would you remind us to have a reverent fear of who you are? And when we trivialize that, Lord, may we repent. Would you help us to remember that divine assurance that you gave John and that you give to us as well, that as long as we're in the middle of your will, we're in the safest place that we could be. Lord Jesus, we praise you as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. 
We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.